choosing the podcast of LifePoint Church in Ozark, Missouri. LifePoint is a body of believers led by God's Spirit to engage in His redemptive mission in the world. We love Jesus and desire to serve Him by leading people to be real Christ followers in life together. We hope that this message will be a blessing and an encouragement for your life. If you would like more information about LifePoint Church, please visit us on the web at www.lifepointozark.com. Deuteronomy chapter 4, we're in a series entitled Shaped for Glory Through Mission. And in this series, I, I personally am asking God to do some powerful things among our church. I don't know of all of these things, but I am praying for some specific things. And here's what I want to ask of you. What are you asking? What are you expecting of God through this study and through this series? Because here's what I can guarantee you. Guarantee you. If you ask for nothing and expect that, you will get it. That's exactly what you get. But here's what I can also guarantee you. If you will ask of God, and you will expect from Him what you ask in accordance with His will, He'll not only give you what you ask, but He'll give you more and greater things than you could imagine. Why would you not trade that in for nothing? Amen? Say, God, I'm going to take my nothing, and I'm going to take these things that are unimaginable. And I'll take that. And God wants to give that to you. So do you just ask the Lord, Lord, what do you want me to ask of this series? What do you want me to learn in this series? And ask Him to speak to your heart in that way. Last week we looked at the first of four foundational pillars. And we said this, if you want God to shape your life for glory through mission, it begins by building your life on four foundational pillars. Last week, we looked at the first one through chapters 1 through 3 of Deuteronomy. And it was, remember, God is faithful. God is faithful. And we saw how Moses traced the people coming out of Egypt to the threshold of the promised land. And then when they rebelled and God sent them back into the wilderness. Even though for 30 plus, 38, almost 40 years, God kept them in the wilderness to discipline their disobedience. He never left them. He never forsook them in the midst of that time. And so we saw how God was with them. He was faithful all along the way. And so now we see that they've come back to the threshold of crossing over into the promised land. And Moses is preaching this first sermon, the first four chapters of Deuteronomy. And he's recounted God's faithfulness. And today he's going to lead them to cultivate a heart for obedience. To cultivate a heart for obedience. Now I've got to tell you this, obedience has been the hardest word in my life to learn to love. You've if you've been around LifePoint long, you've probably heard me talk about this. I am a rebel at heart. Always have been, and, and it's always been a battle of my life. And I don't, you know, I mean, I laugh about it some in jest now, but truly, as I look back on my life, there were certain things that I could guarantee would take place. One of those was this. If you told me something I had to do, I promised you I wouldn't do it. You know, if, if you gave me a rule to follow that I didn't like, I was going to oppose it and do the opposite just to show you that I could for no good or, or no good reason. I was determined to do the exact opposite. And what I would say is rebellion ruled my heart. And so when I come to a topic like obedience today, 
I have to reckon in my own heart the war that has taken place in me, but also to recognize the transformation that God has done over these years of salvation because He has changed my heart to desire obedience and to love obedience. And I'm not saying there's not some rebellion that lurks in the dark spaces, but I'm telling you the cry of my heart is to obey God and to follow Him because I've seen where obedience leads and I've seen what God gives and I want what He has for me. I would suspect that if we interviewed every American today and we asked them, what are the top ten words of your life? Obedience wouldn't be one of the top ten. I'm going to go out on a limb here and add a zero and go, it wouldn't be in the top hundred. Or thousand, or ten thousand, or hundred thousand. You could rack your brains and go, can you give me one more word that's your favorite? Okay, the top 932,432nd favorite word of my life is, you're not going to get obedience. Why? I just don't think it's on the frontal lobe of our brain. That's this part, right? I think. And so my, my point today is understanding that, that, that if, if obedience is this despisable, and yet we're commanded throughout the scriptures to obey, What's at work here? What's going on? And, and we, we're going to get to the heart of that today. I want us to see in this foundational pillar that God does shape our life for glory through mission as we cultivate a heart of obedience. But I do believe that I'm going to crumble some of your preconceived notions about obedience and hopefully begin to rebuild a biblical perspective of what it means to obey God. To obey God. I, I hope that I'm laboring today to help each of you and encourage you to begin this great work of cultivating a heart for obedience. If we go to Deuteronomy 4, not if, but as we go to Deuteronomy 4, I, we're going to cover the entire chapter. But what I'm going to do instead of reading every verse for the sake of time, I'm just going to highlight some of the key verses and walk you through there. So for now, keep your Bible open. Let's go to verse 1, and we're going to read a couple of verses from the beginning here. Deuteronomy 4.1, Moses, remember, he's right in the middle of his sermon, and he turns to say this, And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I'm teaching you, and do them that you may live. And go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. And then skip down to verse 6. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who, when they hear all these statutes, will say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon His name? Moses commands the Israelites to listen to the law and obey it. That's what he's doing. He's setting up next week. We're going to go into chapter 5 of Deuteronomy. And we're going to look at Moses reciting the law. Remember, God appeared to them on the mountain and with his finger. I love the imagery of this. Sometimes the imagery of scripture just blows me away. But God with his own finger 
hewn the stone with ten words for his people. I don't know about you, but that says to me, those are important words. And we have those words. We have those words. And those are the very words that Moses is preparing the people. He's cultivating their heart. I'm about to remind you of these ten words. You already know them, so I'm going to tell you what you already know, but you've forgotten them, so I'm going to remind you of them. So he's preparing their heart, cultivating it to hear from God and to obey Him. He reminds them in verses 3 and 4 how some followed the Baal Peor and bowed down to the false gods in the land and how God destroyed them because they were forsaking Him. But those who followed God, God honored them and they live today. And so He taught God's law to the people that they might be able to obey Him, to live in this relationship with Him. You see, what we see from verses 6 through 8 is this, is that obedience is not about the people. Why? Because He says this, when you obey... The people in the land will see it. And what will they say? How righteous your God must be. See, obedience is not about the people who are doing the obeying. It is about the God who is empowering the obedience. And that's important for us. You see, God's glory is powerfully displayed when His people live in obedience to Him. Not because His people are perfect. That's not what they said. The testimony of the nations looking at the people of God, living in obedience to God, was not this. Those people are perfect. No. The testimony is their God is righteous. Their God is righteous. Because of his righteousness upon them, he reveals to the nations the one who is righteous. They turned and they said, who is this God who is so close to these people? Who is this God who speaks to these people? So Moses knows that obedience is more than ritual adherence. So he instructs the people in a fuller understanding of what this obedience is all about. Look with me at verse 9 as he goes on. He says in verse 9, only take care and keep your soul diligently lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. And then in verse 13 he says, um, and he declared to you his covenant which he commanded you to perform. That is the ten words or the ten commandments. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone. And then the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you the statutes and the rules that you might do them in the land that you are going over to possess. You see, in preparing to remind the people of the law, he instructs them in this way. And we'll come back to this a couple of times, but he says this, take care and keep your soul diligently. Take care and keep your soul diligently. This reminds us of a principle, a spiritual principle that's important for us to point out here, friends. And it's simply this, that inattentiveness breeds forgetfulness. Inattentiveness to your soul will breed forgetfulness in your heart. And when your heart forgets, it will find itself empty of the hope that only Christ can put there. 
take care, to keep your soul diligently. It means that we, we draw upon our relational knowledge with God to, to guard our hearts. Or, or else we will follow after other gods that are false, as we'll see in just a moment. That's what he does. Verses 10 through 14, he does this. He unpacks the definition of what he means by the words, the things. When he says... Take care and keep your soul diligently so that you remember the things that God has done. Verses 10 through 14 remind them of all of the things that God has done for them so that they can nurture and take care of their own soul with remembering these things. And so it reminds us that we take care of our soul diligently when we remember this relational knowledge that we have because God has come near to us, He has loved us, and we know Him because He speaks to us. And so Moses recounts these things. You see, friends, God never demands obedience from our strength. Now here we go. We're we're taking the sledgehammer and we are applying it now. Applying it to preconceived, unbiblical notions of obedience. God never demands obedience from our own strength. But we must know our need for Him to act for us, or we will only strive and try for ourselves. I want you to let that sink in. We'll come back to it, but let it soak in. But of course, as we come to verse 15, Moses knew these people. After all, he'd been walking around the desert with them for 38, 39 years. You kind of get to know people, right? What are you doing this weekend? Probably the same thing we did last weekend. Sweeping the sand out of our sandals, right? I mean, I wonder if that's how those things got their name. Sandals, sand. Verse 15. Therefore, watch yourselves very carefully. Since you saw no form on that day that the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the midst of the fire. And he says, beware unless you act corruptly by making a carved image for yourselves in the form of any figure. And he goes on to recount all the created things really in a creational listing from Genesis that is listed there. The kinds of likenesses that they might create. And when he comes to verse 20, he says this, But the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be a people of his own inheritance as you are to this day. And so he talks about the Lord's discipline upon his own life. And then when he comes to verse 23, he reminds them again. He creates the other bookend when he says this, Take care lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you. And you were to make a carved image, the form of anything that the Lord your God has forbidden you. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire. A jealous God. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. You see, Moses knew these people because when he went up on the mountain to get the law and he came back down, what had happened? They had already fashioned a very expensive idol. 
in order to bow down to it, even though they knew God was speaking and had heard his voice. And so he warns them against this idolatry, and he says this, that created things are not worthy of worship because God did not intend them to be worshipped, but rather the Creator is the only one worthy of worship. And you see, in this we see that God's relationship with his people, it's unique and it is distinct because verse 20 tells us, and, and might I just say, remember it starts with such a magical, be- not magical, beautiful, let me say that, beautiful word at the beginning of verse 20, but. You go, wow, that's, I'm never really impressed with that word, Lane. Why are you so impressed with the word but? Because remember what I told you last week? When the word but or yet are used in reference to us, it's always a bad thing. But when the words but and yet preempt what God's about to do, it's a beautiful thing. And he says this, but God delivered you out of the hand of Egypt. God saved you. He brought you out. And so he reminds them of God's power to save them. You see... What we see in verses, or uh, 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 through verse 24, in verse 15 to 24, is, is that God does have this distinct, unique relationship with his people. And we're going to come back to this characteristic of God that we've just seen. But I want you to see these things and understand so that when Moses says, therefore take care lest you forget. He's not asking you to do something for God. He's asking you to remember what God's already done for you. And that is so important in our labors to cultivate a heart of obedience. That we not believe God's demanding something from us, but we recognize first and foremost that He's done something for us. Verse 25 to 28 goes on. Where Moses knows they will enter back into idolatry, and he begins really to, to speak a prophecy, and he says this: "When your father, or when you father children and children's children, and you've grown old in the land, if you act corruptly by idolatry." And so he goes through here. I want you to move with me to verse 28, because this is where the idolatry comes to a head. And he says this, And there you will serve gods of wood and stone, the work of human hands, that neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. He moves from God's powerful work to the reality of people's destructive sin. He knows that they will forsake the Lord and practice idolatry, though I don't think he knew perfectly uh, exactly how that would happen. But he talks about the consequences of sin's curse and how they are real and how they are condemning and how they are oppressive upon the people. And he describes them. And he says this, You will end up in the absolute opposite place in which you find yourself with God. You will be in a place with many gods, little g, but they cannot talk to you. They cannot do for you. They will not act in your behalf, and you'll be left in the silence of false gods. You know, looking forward, we know what happens in Israel's history, for they do forsake God, and God sends them into exile. And so we set up the context For when God will return them through the people like Esther and Nehemiah and Ezra. 
But as we study the exile, we see that in sin, the people, because of God's discipline upon them, were scattered throughout the world. And you know, as we look uh, forward, it would be hard, if not impossible, to grasp what would happen in the exile for them because of their sin. In other words, if Moses had known perfectly and had told them this is what's going to happen and this is what you'll do and this is what or how you will end up, the people likely would have said, man, that's, that's not going to happen. We're going to follow the Lord. But we, we know our own history, don't we? Because sin's destruction upon our lives, it always seems inconceivable to us. Does it not? And that would never happen to me. Well, if I've learned anything in my years of ministry, of working with people, I've learned this. Never, never say that couldn't happen to me. Always begin by understanding your own heart and its power to deceive by saying, I'm open to all of this. If it not for God to guard me and guide me, and protect me. It's just hard to see looking forward. And yet sin's real destruction always seems inconceivable to us. But praise be to God. And hear me, if you are far from God today, if you are strongly doubting God today or disbelieving God, you feel threatened by God, you feel refused or rejected by God, would you listen to this next sentence? There is no place we can go Or God will not be with us. You are not in a place today where God is absent from you. You are not at a point in your life where God can't reach you. And I don't expect you to believe that because of me saying it. I just want you to know all of Scripture screams it. Because God wants you to know that. Please hear that today. So when we get to verse 29, we see another beautiful word there. It's the same word from verse 20. If I were you, I'd take a pen and I'd circle that but. B-U-T. Let it become the most beautiful word for you in this passage. Why? Because the two times you see it, you're going to see a turn. And in both of those turns, God's going to do something powerfully that we need to understand in order to ground our heart for obedience. Verse 29. But from there. From where? Where they've been sent out. And are worshiping dead false gods. That are silent. You will seek the Lord your God. And you will find him. If you search after him with all your heart. And with all your soul. When you are in tribulation. And all these things come upon you in the latter days. You will return to the Lord your God. And obey his voice. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to you. It's interesting. Some people would be so brash to claim Moses never preached the gospel. That sounded like the gospel to me right there. Amen. God is a merciful God. A merciful God. He awaits And friends, I propose to you today, He even initiates our return because of His covenant. Israel knew they wouldn't be able to keep God's covenant. But they also knew that God is perfectly committed to keep His covenant. 
And what is more beautiful and kind than complete mercy? What is more appealing than complete mercy? You see, God turns us to himself in faith to repent. God is a merciful God who will not forget his covenant. And in a moment, we're going to come back to this. And we're going to unpack it a little more. But, but I want you to see, first of all, how Moses culminates this section and, and, and uses this powerful vision of God in verses 32 to 40 to bring to a head the motivating factor for our obedience. He says this, For ask now of the days that are past which were before you since the day that God created man on the earth. And ask from one end of heaven to the other, where such a weather, such a great thing as this has ever happened or was ever heard of. Did any people ever hear the voice of a God speaking out of the midst of the fire as you have heard and still live? And he goes on to describe these marvelous Uh, 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 powerful, miraculous works of God. And he says this in verse 35, to you it was shown that you might know that the Lord is God. There is no other besides Him. And verse 37, and because He loved your fathers and chose their offspring after them and brought you out of Egypt with His own presence by His great power, driving out before you nations greater and mightier than you to bring you in, to give you their land for an inheritance as it is this day. He sets it up and then he says this, verse 39, know therefore today and lay it to your heart that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. There is no other. Do you need a motivation to obey? There is no other. The contrast that we've seen over and over here again is that God speaks. That's what it sounds like when the other gods try to. There is no other beside you. Moses commands the people to ask. Why don't you search all of history? This is an invitation. An invitation for interrogation of all of history. Why don't you go back to Genesis before 1-1. And why don't you consider and conceive to interrogate history and ask, has there ever been another God who would speak to his people? Has there ever been another God who would come to his people, who would act powerfully for his people on their behalf and then remain with his people. Better yet, why don't you go beyond history while they're searching for their answers and why don't you ask the entire cosmos if there's ever been a God who would speak, who would come and who would act powerfully for his people and who would save. There is no other besides our God. No 
other besides our God. Moses reminds them that obedience flows from God's salvation and it carries us into his full reward and blessing. He's saying this, he's saying you can ask, you can ask all you want, but there is no answer because no is the only answer that you will receive. And he says this is what you need to know. Today you need to know that there is no other then look at the next word, verse 40. What is the word? Therefore. Man, this has got to be the cheesiest pastoral joke ever. But you know I'm about to use it. Why? Because it's still hermeneutics 101. If you want to understand the Bible and you come to the word therefore, you need to stop and figure out what it's there for. You've got to look at what came before so you can understand what he's saying for what follows it after. And what does he say? Therefore, you shall keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you today. Oh. Let me ask you this. Just pop quiz. You ready? Who acted first in these verses? God. When does our obedience come? In response, we do not beckon upon God with our obedience. We respond. Why? Because He is wholly worthy. There is no other besides Him. You see, Moses reminds them that obedience flows from God's salvation and carries us into His full reward and blessing. You see, God calls His people to obedience. But hear me, friends. I got the, I, 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 I've got the sledgehammer out right now. We're going to crush some of these perverted skews understanding of obedience and we're going to reestablish a biblical concept. God calls his people to obedience, but he never placed the burden of perfect performance upon them. Never, not once. His statutes, His rules, His commands, and His instructions, they serve to demonstrate His covenant, but they are not a precursor to experience it. God knew the people needed internal transformation. They needed a new heart in order to be able to obey. And He was showing this to the people. God said, I know you need a new heart. I need you to know that you need a new heart. Because you keep thinking you're going to do something for me, and I'm telling you I've already done something for you. And you're going to obey because my love is going to compel you and to motivate you to obey and to receive the blessed riches and reward that I have for you, not so that you can maybe earn my favor. That's what God's teaching them. He displayed his power that he might point the people to himself among all the powerlessness of all the other gods. He spoke to his people and I can't say enough about how this distinguishes God from all the other gods. Who to this day have no voice because they have no life. His covenant promise would give a new heart with the word written on it. Jeremiah 31, 33 tells us this, that I will take a heart of stone and I will replace it with a heart of flesh to know 
me. Ezekiel 36 tells us that a new heart of flesh will know him and his spirit will live within us and lead us in walking and obedience unto him. You see, God commanded them to not worship a false idol because he was sending, listen to Colossians 1.15, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. It helps us understand that verse 15 to 20, doesn't it? Where he says, don't make it look like a bird, don't make it look like any animal don't make it look like a why because he was sending the firstborn of all creation the image of the invisible God and then Colossians 1 16 tells us why God commanded them to not worship created things because he would send the one by whom all things have been created in heaven and on earth visible and invisible it is the one whom all things were created through and whom all things were created for This is Jesus Christ. This is the covenant that God has made with his people. This is the covenant that God is radically committed to. And this is the covenant that he is calling us to, that he has provided for us in his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus is God's salvation. We don't need to perform perfectly to get from God. Jesus is our perfect performer. God saves people to know and obey him in a personal relationship relationship because Jesus performed perfectly for us. So then what of obedience? If Jesus performed perfectly for us, what of obedience today for us? What what is obedience and how do we cultivate a heart so God can shape our life for glory through mission? Here's the big idea that I want you to grab hold of today. Christians cultivate a heart of obedience by trusting in Jesus to follow God's commands and to enjoy his blessing. I'm going to give you four reminders from this passage to help you, to encourage you to cultivate a heart of obedience. The first reminder is this, that cultivating a heart for obedience begins... By listening. Begins by listening. We we worship a God who speaks. And when Moses says to the people, listen, that's good counsel for us. Because God works in powerful and mysterious ways. But none are more powerful and mysterious than when he speaks. That single most distinctive trait of God so far in the book of Deuteronomy. It is a powerful reminder not only of God's power, but of false gods lack thereof. Moses was preparing the Israelites to hear and to receive the ten words. The the word in Hebrew is the word we uh, uh, translate commandment in in our language, in the English language. He knew that they could not obey on their own, but he calls them to obedience so that they would understand how it is that they are supposed to relate to God. And you see, the law teaches us what our relationship with God is like because it shows us who God is. Don't you want to get to know somebody before you get into a relationship with them? God knows that. So he reveals himself to us knowing That that is how the relationship is formed. You see, but God never, God never intended that the law would be what we would achieve for him. This passage teaches us this very clearly. Listen, friends, obedience is living 
as God saves us to live. That's what obedience is all about. It is living as God has saved us to live. Consider all that Moses says about obedience in these verses. First of all, it's the highest form of believing. It's defined by God's word and not our altering of it. Don't turn to the right or to the left. Just believe what God has said when you listen. Obedience is our wisdom and our understanding in the sight of the people and the world. And when they see this, they would say, this people, they're wise in their understanding in the ways of righteousness, but not for their glory, for God's glory. Because God... Obedience is our testimony of God's closeness, of his nearness to us in relationship and his righteousness that is upon us. People look at Christians living in obedience to God and they don't say, wow, you're a great person. They say, wow, God is a great God. That was the testimony of the nations. God is not about our performance before other people, but demonstrates that God is near and that his statutes and rules are righteous. You see, obedience is not about perfect performance of rules, but hear me, it is about a perfect love filling our hearts. That is what obedience is all about. We think obedience is about doing something for God when God's word tells us that it is about letting God do something in us because of what he has already done for us. We cannot obey God on our own, but we will never obey God without his word. And so he gives us 10 of them, the 10 commandments. The Israelites could not obey on their own. They needed that internal transformation. And so do you and I need that. And you see, transformation of the heart only comes by the one who is God's living word. And that's Jesus Christ. He is the one that God has brought. And hear me when we understand what happens through God's word. Because Romans 10, 17 tells us this, that God speaks. You ever wonder why God speaks? Just to make him look different from all the other gods? Well, that's one reason. But friends, God speaks because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. God speaks so you can have faith to believe in him. Cultivating a heart for obedience begins by listening to God speak through his word. Jesus Christ. The second reminder I want to offer to you today is this. That cultivating a heart for obedience means taking care of your soul. It means taking care of your soul. When Moses moves to tell the Israelites to take care of your soul and to keep it diligently, it reminds us of Proverbs 4.23 that says, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. It reminds us of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6.21, where he says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be be also. You see, Moses tells the Israelites what we must heed today. Obedience is not first an issue of action, but obedience is first an inclination of the heart. Obedience is not first about activity or action. It is first about the inclination of the heart. And obeying God, friends, it originates in this relational knowledge, a relationship that we have because of Him. Our heart and our soul is cared for by remembering the things that God has done for us in Jesus Christ, which Moses is reminding all of the Israelites of all that God has done for them. And, and, and the Bible even tells us in Hebrews 1.9 that Jesus 
is the heart's salve. He is the heart's medication. He is the oil of gladness for us, for the heart. But the world is full of tempting and alluring, adulterous idols that beckon us just to come and try it. They promise what seems to satisfy. And they seem so harmless because they are so familiar. And they seem so right because so many follow them. And it's hard for us to conceive of what might end up taking place. But God is gracious. He tells us of sin's destructive nature and consequences. But do not forget this one thing. God has saved you so you could obey Him. That's what verse 20 is all about. Right in the midst of worship. Right in the midst of saying, do not worship any created idol. He says, why? Because God saved you out of the iron furnace to be a people for Himself. God saved you. For a purpose. Do not forget this one thing. He saved you so you could obey Him. And friends, we take care of our soul against the world's temptations when we remember that God saved us for the life that only He can give to us. Cultivating a heart for obedience means taking care of your soul by remembering that God saves you for obedience. Cultivating a heart for obedience, reminder number three, means that we practice repentance as an act of faith. This may be the most powerful insight to me of this entire study of this chapter. Moses tells the people, you will not obey, but God will not forsake you. You see, when we're in our darkest sin and deepest rebellion, we are never too far from God. Hear me, most of you know me as a pastor and a preacher. You don't know me as a preacher's kid. And in jest, but all seriousness. We're the same person, but we are nothing alike. The preacher's kid and the now pastor preacher. Why? Because at the age of 16, God gave me a new heart. And that heart has never been perfect. But to this day, To this day, it is moving in a direction of love and obedience. Not because of me, good grief. Not because of me. But only by His grace. Only by His grace and His favor. Friends, when we learn to turn to Him in repentance, we learn that in our darkest sin and our deepest rebellion... We are never too far from God. Hear me. Some of you may not agree with me on this, but I'm going to make a case for it. God turns us in repentance to seek Him. Now someone might want to argue, but pastor, it looks to me in these verses, verse 29 and following, that the people turn to God of their own will, of their own volition. And I don't want to set the people against God, but I simply want to say this, that these verses make it clear that the people are acting, but they are not the originators of what is taking place in their action. And I'm going to tell you why Moses tells us God is a consuming fire, a jealous God, and He is a merciful God. 
Moses provides two important traits of God's character for us. Consuming fire, a jealous God, and a merciful God. When faced with these two characteristics, we often do one of two things. We choose which one we like the most, or the one that serves us the best, or, 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 or on the other hand, we diminish the one that's less important to us, and we try to make it subservient to the other one. So we say, well, really, God's more merciful than He is jealous, or God's more jealous than He is merciful, and that usually gets yelled at you, you know, because that's the way those people perceive it. But the way Moses presents it is this. Equally right and true. How can God be a jealous God, a consuming fire, and a merciful God? When to me those things seem to stand in contradiction to each other. I'll tell you how. What precedes Moses stating that he is a jealous God, a consuming fire? His command to tell them not to be idolatrous. And not to disobey. Not to walk into idolatry. And what do they do right after that? They go follow the gods of the world. And God has to send them into exile. Let me ask you something, friends. If God's not a jealous God, a consuming fire, how can we understand His discipline upon us? Vindictive? God is jealous for His glory. And if we're going to live outside of that glory and we're going to pursue false gods that are not glorious and not worthy of our worship, God loves us through His jealous love for His glory to discipline us. Parents, you ever discipline your kids? You should because the Bible says a father who loves his children will discipline. You see, that's what tells us that God loves us, is that He disciplines us. But we also know this about God, that is equally right and true. He is merciful. And in His discipline, we can turn to Him and find forgiveness and mercy and grace. That just blows me away. I could understand him if he was just jealous and destroyed me. It wouldn't make any sense if he was only merciful. Because what do I need mercy for? But that he is both is beyond comprehension. He loves me wherever I go and receives me. When I come back to him. In his disciplining love. You reckon that he is a merciful God. What turned you to him? One thing in my book. That you know. He will receive you. You see the essence of obedience friends is remembering. That no matter where you are. In your failure to be perfect. And we're all in there somewhere, right? God's mercy leads us to repentance. It's His kindness, His mercy that leads us to repentance. The fourth reminder is to cultivate a heart for obedience. It means that we lay it on our heart that Jesus 
is Lord. Moses turns his focus to call the Israelites' attention to God. He invites them to interrogate history. He invites them to interrogate the cosmos. And and he comes really to only one conclusion. To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord is God. That there is no other besides Him. Nothing stirs the heart more than experiencing God's saving power. Nothing. That's the one day of my life I've never gotten over. And it's only gotten better every day since. You see, there is a right response to God's power in salvation. He doesn't say, now go do what you know you are supposed to do. He doesn't say that, does he? Verse 40 doesn't say that. Rather, he states this. I want you to know today. And I want you to lay it on your heart. What's he telling us to do to to lay it on our heart? I'm telling you, he's he's saying build a hedge around your heart. Lay Christ over you. Let Christ be the armor bearer for your heart. And when the arrows of temptation and when the arrows of the enemy are hurled at you, let it hit Christ before it hits you. Tell him to Deal with Jesus. Talk to the Word because He is covering my heart. Let Him impress upon your heart like a branding upon the flesh where He would be so ingrained upon us that only His righteousness would be shown through us. You see, what he is saying is this, is that obedience begins from within, not with what you can accomplish, but with who is covering your heart. That's where obedience begins because cultivating a heart for obedience means that we lay it on our heart continually that Jesus is Lord. Why would we do this? Because there is no other. There is no other. You've just interrogated history. You've just interrogated the cosmos and they have no answer because the answer is there is no Therefore, therefore, you see, friends, when you lay it on your heart that Jesus is Lord, He fills your heart with His love, His joy, His peace, all that He is. And He compels you, He motivates you to obey, to obey, and to enjoy the rewards of what God has and what is awaiting for you in that. And ask the worship team to return. Could I just ask a couple of questions? Because I tell you, when you preach on obedience, it's, it's not really something a pastor gets excited about unless he's had a bad week. And then we just get to yell at people and it makes us feel a lot better, but it doesn't do any good for the church. It's heavy. Because when you preach on obedience, what you begin to think about is all the ways that you're not being. How quickly that comes. And might I just say this? God does lead us back into see our sin that we might repent and turn to Him and be forgiven and cleansed of that. But friends, I want to propose to you today that it's not God that's pressing your insufficiencies upon your heart to condemn you. It's the evil one. And all the more reason that your heart needs to have Christ as Lord laid upon it today. God's calling to you to bring you to Himself, not to push you away. God wants to fill your heart with the love 
and the joy and the peace that only He can give. Not to fill it with more shame, guilt, and condemnation. And when you face your sin and you see your insufficiency, God wants you to see what He sees through repentance, Christ's righteousness placed upon you. Christian, I want to ask you something today. I do want you to consider how God is calling you to obey and to remember all that He's done for you and then to follow Him in obedience. I want to strongly encourage and exhort and and pray for you in that very way that you will do that very thing and that will have a very tangible outward action or activity. There's something you need to do. Maybe it's someone you need to go to. Maybe you need to speak a word of forgiveness or reconciliation. Maybe you need to pursue a relationship that is broken and, and you need to repent of your sin. So there will be an outward way in which God leads you. It is the Spirit, as Ezekiel 36, says he puts a heart in you to know him and he puts his spirit in you to lead you as you obey him but don't get up yet because I don't want you to move without remembering what God has already moved for you and he's removed any barrier that your imperfection or insufficiency might create And before you act, remember. And let the remembrance of God's salvation bring to mind and bring to motivation your desire to follow Him wherever He leads and in whatever way He wants you to follow. You see, when God calls to you, It's not about just sending you to go do something. It's about drawing you near to himself. To say, I am with you and I'm following you. You're with God. God is with you. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, might I just say this to you? God stands ready, as close as he's ever been, to receive you today. If you believe and trust what he has for you. Father, thank you for your goodness and for your grace. Help us, Lord Jesus, for our hearts are so prone to wonder and our minds so bent to rationalize our own sin. Spirit of God, help us today. Work in us. Draw us to yourself. Bring us into conviction of sin and show us where we have forsaken you that we might repent back and be cleansed and forgiven by you. Draw us into conviction for righteousness, for where you are leading us and where you want us to go. To know, God, that we're walking with you because of what you've already done for us. And Lord Jesus, if there's one here today who's not a Christian, God, our heart's prayer is they they would see all that you've done in Jesus Christ and their heart would be moved to say, today, Lord, save me save me the altar is always open if you want to come and pray I'll be here at the front would love to pray with you and minister to you if you know today God has saved you would you come and let us encourage you and maybe counsel you if you have questions in this time let's stand together and let's respond to the Lord through song as the Lord works among us by his spirit